These are my last six messages at Scum of the Earth. Um, and my pastor, uh, Ned Bruby, said, Mike, you should call it your legacy series. And so then um, we were talking at staff meeting, <laughs> and Steve Granado said, Mike, we should really call it your Show a Little Legacy series. So, um, uh, but Ben didn't think that was the right name, so he took it off. Oh, okay. I don't know what happened. Okay, great. Well, anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> Let's hope the rest of the slides came out okay. Who knows? Yeah, so I've been around Scum of the Earth uh, for uh, going on 19 years now. Um, here with the first bunch of folks who uh, wanted to start a church for the left out and the right brained, as we called it back then. And um, yeah, I am uh, in my last 40 days of being on staff here. So they're letting me talk six weeks in a row. Uh, so that's a warning for you guys who are brand new. If you don't like what I'm doing today, you may not want to show up for the rest of it. I know we have uh, some, some visitors here today. And if you came just for old time's sake, then, um, you know, hopefully I'll be just as boring as I ever was. So, um, yeah, <laughs> the Legacy Series. Um, you're thinking, like, so what am I going to say? If I'm going to say in my last six messages, like, what do I think are the most important concepts that I'd like to pass on to this particular group of people called Scum of the Earth? And so uh, the first one that popped in my head really um, was uh, walking with a limp. It's a phrase I've used a lot over the last 19 years. I've never really given a message on the concept and so I thought tonight would be a good time to do that. Because you see, I have the gift of being worn down. And by that I mean I've had my share of failures in my life, in ministry. I've lost some wrestling matches. Quite a few of them happened, frankly, while I was right here at SCUM. I've had... People I thought were going to be with me for the duration kind of walk out. Sometimes people really, really pissed off at me. I made decisions that I thought were good decisions, you know, with lots of prayer and counsel, and had bunches of people disagree with me on that. Um, all the best intentions didn't make a Hill of beans worth a difference. And, um, you know, I've had struggles being a dad. Um, things haven't gone all the way that I hoped they would with my four children, whom I love very, very dearly. We've got great relationships, so that's not the issue. But let's just say that I've had some failures in the fatherhood department. And in my marriage, um, things haven't gone uh, the way I imagined they would go, you know, pre-marriage does anybody marriage go that way? I doubt it. An old pastor friend of mine used to say, don't trust anyone who doesn't walk with a limp, Mike. 
Don't trust anybody who doesn't walk with a limp. And he was referring to the biblical story of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, who some believe actually to be the pre-incarnate Jesus himself. A theophany, a Christophany in seminary terms. So it wasn't just any old angel with whom he tussled. As a matter of fact, the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament writes about Jacob, the patriarch, in chapter 12. In the womb he grasped his brother's heel. You see, Jacob was a twin. And his brother came out first. But Jacob was grabbing on to his brother's heel almost as if he wanted to pull him back in and be the first one out. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God, meaning the passage we're going to talk about today. So, just so you know, a little background information, if you don't know the life of the patriarch Jacob in the Bible, um, he uh, was a deceitful guy. His name, Jacob, actually means little heel grabber. He was kind of a... kind of a euphemism for deceiver, cheater. (laughs) That's kind of how he came to be known as well in his life. There are stories about Jacob always being jealous of his older brother Esau. Esau was dad's favorite. Esau was a man of the open field, a hunter. Jacob was a man of tents and liked to cook and stay home with mom. Dad always liked Esau best. And you can see Jacob trying to gain his father's approval. I think more than anything, he longed to hear words of paternal blessing, but they just weren't going to come his way because he wasn't the favored one. In fact, he wanted to hear those words of blessing so much that he schemed and even used pretense to get it. So one time his brother was out hunting for a long period of time, obviously hadn't done too well, came back famished. Jacob was cooking some lentil stew and had some bread, whatever, and his brother says, please give me some of that food because I'm starving. And then Jacob, sensing an opportunity, says, I'll tell you what, if you give me your birthright as the firstborn... then I'll let you have some food. And so the Bible says that Esau despised his birthright. He sold it for some lentil soup and some bread. And so Jacob was able to wrest away that blessing in the eyes of God. But it didn't stop there. Later on, His father is getting near to death. Jacob's mom overhears him talking about how he's going to have to give his older brother the blessing of the firstborn. And so since she likes Jacob better, she comes up with a scheme for Jacob to steal the blessing. And Jacob goes along with it. So, I mean, she gets some of Esau's clothes out of the closet in the tents. I guess they had closets. I don't know. Got Esau's clothes. We so smelled like Esau. And then got some uh, some goat hair, tied it around his 
his hands and his wrists and around the back of his neck so that when his dad, who was just about blind, went to feel his son, Jacob, he would actually think he was touching Harry Esau. And so Jacob succeeds in grabbing his father's blessing before his father dies, just before Esau comes in from out of the fields. And of course, this enrages Esau. He's been gypped out of what's due him twice by his younger brother. And so he's going to kill his younger brother. And that's when his mom says, I think you better leave. Like, go to my brother Laban over here and get out of town for a while. Get out of the area for a while until your older brother cools down so I'm not missing a son. And so he does that. I think more than anything, Jacob wanted to hear his father say, I love you. I adore you. I want everything that I am to be yours. You matter to me. I like you a lot. Some of us know how that feels. Wanting that parental blessing. And so, that kind of is the backdrop for the story. Jacob has been gone for many years now. He is returning home. But this time he's got a couple wives. He's got 11 sons. He's got flocks and herds. But as he approaches his home country... He finds out that his brother Esau has 400 armed men ready to meet him as soon as he crosses the river. Jacob thinks his life is over. So he comes up with an elaborate scheme whereby he sends his children ahead and his wives ahead and these gifts ahead and all sorts of stuff so that finally when he meets his brother, maybe his brother will be appeased and won't want to kill him. And so Jacob is all alone one night, camping on the opposite side of the river. And that's where we go to Genesis chapter 32. Starting in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Some mysterious stranger. At this point in the story, we don't know who it was. But Jacob is all by himself in the middle of his schemes, and all of a sudden some guy comes and starts fighting him. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, in other words, when this mysterious stranger sees that he can't overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with men. Now, the Hebrew word for this really is just a light tap. I mean, they're wrestling all night. Jacob thinks... 
he's doing pretty well with this dude. And then all of a sudden, the man just touches the socket of his hip. And Jacob's hip goes out of whack. Evidently, this mysterious stranger is a whole lot more powerful than he's led on so far. And at this point, Jacob changes his strategy. Just notice. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. Verse 26. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So now Jacob is realizing he's with somebody with a whole lot more power than he bargained with. And he's been doing pretty good, but he is not going to let go until this guy says something good over him. This is a man who has longed for good words to be spoken over him by a man more powerful than he his entire life. And he's now a full-fledged adult. He realizes this is a heavenly being. I am not going to let this opportunity pass me by. I will hold on for my dear life. Verse 27, The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Jacob, the little heel grabber, the deceiver, the cheater. That's me. That's my name. It's almost like a confession, really, in front of this heavenly being. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. The name Israel means one who struggles with God. One who struggles with God. Did the man wrestling him know that he was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ? It appears so. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? The name of God is... Uh, one of those holy utterances that men are not allowed to speak, much less know at this point. Jacob's trying to get a handle on this being. And the being says, ain't no handles you can hold on to here. Why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him there. Now the scriptures are strangely silent at this point. What was the blessing? What do you think the Lord God would tell Jacob? Honestly, I, I think we know because we know what Jesus has said to us. I love you. 
I made you because I wanted to be with you. You're worth the world to me. I would lay down my life for you. That's how much I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be your God. I want you to be my man or my woman. I want to live every single moment in communion with you. I don't want you ever to feel alone because I will be with you always. There is nothing that can separate you from my love. And I hope that one day you understand the height and the depth and the breadth of my love for you. Oh, I have things planned. Not just for this earthly time, but I have things planned for eternity where I'm going to bless you because I love you so much. This is what I think happened. What kind of blessing did Jacob need? What kind of blessing do we need? Verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. You see, the common knowledge of the day said if you saw God face to face, you'd be dead. That no living being could stand to be in the presence of God and live. Which is another reason I think this is the pre-incarnate Christ, a Christophany, as opposed to a theophany. Because I think if we saw God in all of His glory, I think we would just be reduced to a pile of ash about that big, maybe. Verse 31. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel. The sun rose. It was morning. But the sun rose. It was a new day. And he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So for the rest of his life, Jacob carries this reminder of his tussle with the Lord Jesus. He couldn't walk right. He couldn't run like he used to. But it was okay. He got a new name. He got a new identity. He got a blessing that surpassed anything he ever expected before in his entire life. Jacob realized that the man could have destroyed him totally if he just did that with a mere touch. You know, imagine what a right jab does or an uppercut from this fella. It's a turning point in his life. He realizes he's in the presence of God. Is God safe? Absolutely not. But he's good. 
Here's approval beyond approval. I mean, Jacob wanted the prettiest wife. Why? Because he was looking for approval. He wanted to be the wealthiest dude. Why? Because he was looking for approval. He finally finds the beauty and the wealth behind that which he was looking for. God touched Jacob's socket, and it was defeat, and it was victory, all wrapped up into one. So says Derek Kidner in his commentary on Genesis. I know you're waiting for this, but C.S. Lewis put it this way. Every story of conversion is a story of blessed defeat. Every story of conversion is a story of blessed defeat. Every time somebody comes to Jesus, every time, they've been defeated. It's true in my life. I went to Bible study to find out that Jesus wasn't real. I wanted to have sex with as many women and drink as much alcohol as physically possible and have no divine consequence. So I went to Bible study to find out to make sure that it was all a bunch of hogwash and Jesus wasn't real. Well, guess what? Jesus showed up. It was a blessed defeat for me. I found that Jesus was not somebody to vanquish, but somebody to cling to. Just like Jacob. And I imagine, just like you. I had to stop relying on my own wits and start relying on the wisdom of God which looks like foolishness to the world. And as I begin my last sermon series, my first sermon will have three points because every good sermon has three points. Number one, Jesus is the initiator in this story. Jacob was not seeking God. Did you notice? He wasn't seeking God. He was just doing his thing. It's not Jacob who wants to wrestle with God. It's God who comes to wrestle with Jacob. And brings him to the point of both physical and spiritual submission. That's what God does. He initiates work in our lives. Jesus says, you love me because I first loved you. I remember back when I was... uh, A young man, they had these bumper stickers, and they said, I found it. Going, found what? What's that about? Well, you're supposed to say, I found abundant life in Jesus. Well, I think the more biblical bumper sticker would have been, God found me. That's what I think. You see, this is a weird upside-down kingdom, folks. Where to be weak is to be strong. Where to be defeated is to have the real victory. I mean, God is perfect. 
He is super smart. He does everything well. He is perfect in every way. He does no wrong. Regardless of how circumstances have played out in my life or your life, God has not done one thing wrong. Regardless of how badly injured I have been in this church and in my life, God has never made a mistake. He alone is the sovereign Lord. He's the big boss. He has His will done, and it is accomplished. Jesus is the initiator. I know people who are so pissed off at Jesus. I've been ticked off. You should hear my prayer life sometime. You would be appalled. It's got more cuss words in it than I ever use in front of people. I'm not joking around. I get it. I get the struggle. And yet in my heart, I know He's good. He is initiator. He lets everything happen. And even the bad stuff He lets happen for a reason. We started a transition plan here in this church for me to step down like three and a half years ago. It kind of fell apart. I'm thinking, you could have told me three and a half years ago to go a different direction, but you didn't. I was listening. I was praying. I sought wise counsel. And you still let it happen. Okay, if that's the way things are, God, then I just trust you. I trust you. Because you're good. You're the boss. What am I going to do? Where else am I going to go? To whom are we going to turn except for you? You're the boss of this place. You see what I'm saying? Number one, Jesus is the initiator. Number two... Jesus is the winner. God will always win the wrestling match. If we were smarter, we would give up sooner. (laughs) The sooner we submit, the better off we are. In this weird kingdom where to be poor is to be rich, Where to mourn is to be comforted. You know, the whole gospel is right here. In Genesis 32. We at long last see a broken and contrite spirit in Jacob. Now called Israel. It's like he is reading the Sermon on the Mount, but he wasn't. We see in Jacob a man who's renewed by God's power and by God's grace. 
He's now being remade in the image of God. He surrenders to God's will for his life. He's got great faith now to go face the music with his brother Esau. I myself have tussled with God and been pinned to the mat. I wound up on the losing end of the battle. I tried to work out life my way and found out that I must submit to God's ways. So I understand grace working in my life through no righteousness of my own. I am permanently injured in the best of ways. And I will carry those scars the rest of my life. Gladly. I hope you are too. I don't think there's a downside to this gift of being worn down that I carry. I would love you all to have it. The gift of being worn down. It's not the gift I first desired when I went into ministry. Trust me. But thankful for you, God wore me down before I even got here. I was 46 when scum began. You know, here's the truth. I mean, if you get to a position, I don't care where it is in your life, of authority and responsibility. It could be in your job. It could be in your family. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be among your group of friends. It doesn't matter. If you haven't been worn down, if you haven't wrestled with God and been pinned to the mat, had your hip point on a, put out of joint, if you don't walk with the limp, then oh, I feel sorry for the people for whom you have responsibility and over whom you exercise authority, whether it's your kids or your parents or your neighbors, or your extended family, it doesn't matter. Because you will end up being an ogre, manipulating them and lording it over them and having no grace for them. They'll have to suffer through your pride. And if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus will break you down. And if you haven't gone through it before you get the responsibility and authority, you will go through it after, and all the people who follow you will have to go through it with you. Which is never very fun. Assuming they can survive it. I honestly think that half the problems, you know, in the church are churchgoers having to suffer through the humbling process that Jesus is putting their leaders through. Of course, 50%. What do I know? I mean, I think like 85.6% of all statistics are made up on the spot. That's, that's my opinion. So Jacob lost the wrestling match, which means that, that, that this whole thing involves failure. People who've gone through this have a lot more mercy, a lot more tolerance for people who mess up behind them. 
I mean, I'd rather follow somebody who says, look, this is how I've screwed up in my life as a Christian. And if I can make it, then you can make it. See, that's my kind of preacher. Not the person who sits up in the front and makes me believe that he or she have it all together. I'm thinking, that ain't me. I can't do that. It's the whole John Newton amazing grace thing, right? The former slave trader who became the pastor wrote amazing grace. It's the whole William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army thing, who looked at the bums in the streets of London and said, there, but for the grace of God, go I. In other words, if it wasn't for God's grace, I'd be right there with them. See, that's somebody who walks with a limp. There should be this hall of shame somewhere in the back of our heads that we can always go to. It's got all the canes and all the crutches lined up about how we've had to limp through our entire lives. There's a great unburdening when you come to Christ. I mean, many people have had to Give up things, right? But gladly, like, just take it. That's what Pilgrim's Progress is all about by John Bunyan. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress or a modern English translation, it's a great thing. So, look, I'm going to give you... This is... Not what I read in the book. But if you have been through a wrestling match with Jesus and and you have come out with a limp, don't try to hide it. Don't try to pretend you're walking without a limp. I mean, any doctor will tell you that that will hurt other parts of your body. If there's something wrong with one of your legs or your hip, and you try to act like it's fine, then you're going to actually hurt other areas by trying to walk on it the way you would normally do. There's a story, actually, uh, about this major league ball player. I think it's in uh, Ball 4 by uh, Jim Booten. But um, he says there was this major league pitcher who had a sprained toe and actually threw out his throwing shoulder because he tried to pitch like he always did and not favor the sprained toe. It's what the church needs is limping leaders. Oh, I can do this. It's great news to know that we'll never sin so badly, we'll never mess up so greatly, that Jesus won't take us back. That's what limping leaders do. I'll give you the same advice my old pastor gave me. Don't trust anyone who doesn't walk with the limp. We have story night at Scum of the Earth on a regular basis. You'll have one after my last Sunday here. So February 17th, you'll have a story night here. It's the best thing we do on a regular basis. Why? Because people get up and they tell their stories about wrestling with God. 
about the blowtorching work that God has done in their lives. And they could be non-Christians. They could be Christians. They could be talking about, I'm saying, they could be talking about becoming a Christian from being a non-Christian. They could have been raised in a Christian home for their entire life and they still have stories. I remember one young lady who had gone to a Christian college, raised in a Christian home, and she had started lying to her parents and she couldn't handle the load of lying to her parents. And the Lord finally wrestled her to the ground. And she came clean with them. And I thought, what a wonderful story. With that all of our children had that story. You know, I don't want my kids to have, I was a crack cocaine meth head before I came to know Jesus. I don't want my kids to have that story. Do you want your kids to have that story? But we have those stories here. And they're wonderful. So we try and do both. People who were raised in a Christian home, people who weren't. People who were drug dealers for the mafia before they met Jesus. And people who were in a Christian bubble their entire lives. We got some people here who walk with limps. We do. People who have been through the wrestling match with God. It's in certain areas of our lives. It's not the whole thing once and all for everybody. But Mike Murphy went through the murder of his son. If you don't think that was hard? Talk to him about it. Want to talk about forgiving somebody? Talk to Mike. Larry Pombianco is, I've always called him my prophet who walks with a limp. Prophets are notoriously arrogant. I don't know if you knew this. They are black and white, they see no gray, and they'll tell you what's wrong with you without batting an eye. Larry cries while he's telling you. Because he walks with a limp. He's wrestled with God and come up on the short end of the deal. Craig was one of my professors at seminary. I used to invite him to speak as a special guest speaker at SCUM because he was so good. World-renowned. I don't know how he sits through my sermons or anybody else's sermons here on a week-to-week basis, but he does. If that ain't one with a limp, I don't know what is. Fran, Ph.D. in missiology, I'll tell you what. Fran and Craig were giving me hints that Fran wanted to be on staff. I didn't pay attention. I didn't realize it. I couldn't absorb it. I thought, how, how the heck would you want to be on staff at SCUM, Fran? You have been the head of the missions department in a mega church. You had a million dollar budget. You want to come and be staff here and, you know, be under my authority? Come on. 
How could Fran do that? Because she walks with a limp. And those of you who have consulted with her understand that when she starts speaking out of her own pain in her life, you are gaining because of her pain. last point is Jesus is the loser. So we can be like him. To put it in a New Testament context, you've chosen to follow a God who dies, folks. And that should be your first clue that failure is inevitable. If God did not spare His only begotten Son, then He ain't going to spare us. I want you to think of Jesus wrestling with God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus held on to God through Gethsemane, through the mock trial, through the torture, through the crucifixion. He got the curse so we could get the blessing. This is why Jacob could see Jesus face to face in the form of Christ and not die. This is why you and I can suffer the blessed defeat of having our hips thrown out of joint and walking with a limp as opposed to being reduced to a pile of ash that big. Because of what Jesus did. We get to, in some small way, become like Him by walking with the limp. And that's what we do when we take communion. We identify with Jesus as as our Lord and our Savior, the one whom God just didn't touch lightly on the hip, the one whom God crushed on the cross so that we could see Him face to face. Every time we take communion, we renew the contract that you can put my hip out of joint as often as you want to, Lord God. Because I know I will never suffer death at your hands. The second death. The permanent death. That I will be with you always. That you are mine and I am yours and you love me. And all the blessings you gave to Jacob are mine. That I have become part of the new Israel. All right. The last slide didn't show up. But it was 2 Corinthians 13.4. 
For to be sure, Jesus was crucified for our weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, and yet by God's power, we live with him. That's what we're doing when we take communion. We are identifying with Jesus. So it's come to the earth. If you're following Jesus, the best of your ability, you're welcome to participate in communion. At Scum, we, we tear off some of the bread. We dip it into the cup. Uh, there's some gluten-free crackers at each station. You can take one of those out, and you can dump those in the cup as well. And then eat it right there. You can go back to your seat. You can say a prayer. You want to go outside and be alone with God, work some things out. That's fine. There'll be some folks back here in the prayer room who walk with a limp. <laughs> To pray with you if there's a situation in your life or there's a person in your life or something about you that you want prayed for, go on back during communion, during the last few songs, if you want to get prayed for. But let's pray right now together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you wrestle us down until we are yours and you are ours. May we be with you always. Teach us how to walk like you. I can hear you say, walk this way, follow me. Give us the grace, Jesus, to do just that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.